Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God, but finding it in it is hard. It's like trying to find God. You're the only one in your camp with cheese. You pay for everything they eat. Man, that insecurity is deep. Now I ain't said no names. These are just theories if you hear me, baby. It's home. You must admit it's kind of eerie, baby. Like them chemtrails in the sky. Welcome, everyone. Grand Rising, y'all. Welcome to the David Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, And we've got a great amazing first day of Black History Month. Uh, I'm going to say wowing Wednesday for all of y'all out there today. Uh, so glad to be able to touch base a bit with Brian Callanan, who sent us in a video so everyone can know what's going down tonight on Seattle News Views and Brews right here, 7 p.m. on Converge Media. Also, really excited because Fazel Khan is in the building. I get to speak with him, a new director for public health with uh, Seattle King County. We're going to be talking all about the goals uh, for his role in the office. And also, of course, we need those public health updates. Uh, we're starting off uh, in, in a smooth fashion with Black History Month, but really excited for our partnership with Black Heritage Society of Washington State. So we'll be following up and giving y'all all of the goodness on all of that. Uh, but of course, it's the top of the show, everyone. So it's a perfect time to tag and share the stream. That's right. Participate with us. Tag and share the stream with folks who feel could benefit from a daily dose of dopeness right here on The Day with Trey. If you can't watch us, you can always listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Just search Converge Media Network and The Day with Trey. Y'all will find me on Google, Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, whatever is your favorite, you name it. Search for us. Y'all will find us there and really appreciate you tagging and sharing this stream and also sharing the podcast. Thank y'all so much for all that uh, help that you're providing us. We grow with all of the times that you share. When someone else finds it valuable, they share. And this is how, you know, independent media gets around all of the region and gets around the country. Country. Uh, so we appreciate all of y'all and even, I guess, international because we got listeners all the way in Australia and all over the place. So thank y'all so much because we understand how important uh, black media is right here in the Black Media Matter studios. For us every day, it rings true. And you all actually help with that every single time that you tag and share the stream, all the times that you're talking about us in communities with your circles of influence, your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues. We appreciate that. Uh, so I just want to send and extend my appreciation to you all this morning. Well, as I said, I'm really excited because we do have a great partnership with Black Heritage Society. And this month, we are going to be giving y'all some, you know, amazing stories of amazing Black folks. And we got one up for y'all today, uh, starting right here. We got David Mann, that's right, from the Seattle Rainier uh, baseball team. Y'all can check out our stories at bhswa.org. Make sure you guys go right there. The website is on. Uh, on that graphic, but we want to make sure that we are also providing amazing, uplifting stories throughout this Black History Month. And, you know, this year, uh, for those who may not know, almost every year there's a theme for Black History Month. And this year's theme is Black Resistance. And it really uh, allows us all to take an interest in more of a closer look on all of the ways that African-American culture 
has had to really persist through so much uh, oppression, racism, uh, whether it was systemic or non-systemic, it was private. They dealt with it in their homes and neighbors and communities. Uh, but Black resistance allows us to really take a focus uh, as we learn, you know, and take this month to really dive in deeper. Uh, for me, it's work every single day throughout the whole year. So it's for me, it's 365. But for those who are really saying, you know, I'm going to use this Black History Month to dive into some facts and some history maybe I wasn't aware of, this is a time for you to really get educated on Black resistance movements. And there are so many that happen that honestly were not documented until some, some of them more recently. You know, we are learning so much more. You know, check out some of these amazing resources uh, out there. There's some great, uh, you know, accounts you can follow on social media. Uh, Black History Unlocked is a great one that's just always sharing, you know, stories of, you know, folks that have not been told before, or maybe they have been, but they have new details. So check out some of these amazing uh, accounts. You know, if you look up Black History accounts, uh, certain things will pop up for you, and it allows you to really educate yourself. As we know, a lot of this history wasn't taught in schools um, throughout, you know, the, the years. So take it upon yourself to really be educated and informed. I'm excited also, too, because our art queen here at Converge, T-Dub, said it's time for her to dive into some Black history as well. Check this out. T-Dub here, our queen of Converge, talking about some of my artistic influences um, there are so many. I can talk for hours about how much, you know, black artists have influenced myself and my career. Um, some of the people that come on to mind more recently um, include Theaster Gates. Um, I believe the work that he's doing with space and creativity is uh, pretty revolutionary and phenomenal. Um, Tremaine Emery with the fashion and design, bringing our historical stories to what we wear. Um, Fatima Robinson with choreography and creative direction of some of the visuals that you've come to know and love for the past few years. Um, she's absolutely amazing. Um, and I think about some people that are really close to me, like Moses Sun and the work that he does in the abstract and creating opportunities for people to be able to express their emotions and their feelings through their work. Um, Barry Johnson, Aramis Hamer, you know, there's so many artists who are doing the work of making sure that our history um, is seen as well as heard um, through, through creativity. And I just really appreciate anybody who is trying to do that work because I know how not easy <laughs> it can be. Um, so yeah, some of my influences, there are so many more. I encourage everybody to go out and learn about the people who make the art, you know what I mean? Don't just become fixated on their product, learn about their process, learn about their why, um, you know, it might inspire you to do something too. So inspiring, T-Dub. Shout out to my girl, T-Dub. I mean, it's beautiful to hear her take on the, the folks that really inspire her. And I, too, echo that message 100%. Make sure you do the work to connect with these amazing Black artists. Uh, again, you know, we've been sharing opportunities for you to be connected to the, the businesses and artists out here that are making it happen. And there are so many great artists doing amazing works. Make sure that you do your work, not just this month, take it throughout the year uh, to be engaged in the community that is around you 
to be engaged in, you know, communities maybe that are outside even of your neighborhood or, you know, your geographic area and be tuned in and tapped into the brilliance that resides right here locally around you. It's so important. And, you know, all of the artists that T-Dub mentioned are just phenomenal in their, in their own right. They all have their own pathways and stories for why they do art, the art that they do. And as we know here, uh, not only does Black media matter, but Black art matters as well. So shout out to you, T-Dub, for sharing your influences. Appreciate you for taking that time at uh, Sankofa Theater. Y'all will be hearing more and more about this amazing space that is really curating great events, um, uplifting Black culture, uh, Black legacy. There's so much when you think about the, the, the term of Sankofa is looking back to look forward. And that means we're always carrying the legacies of our ancestors along with us as we grow and as we too uh, eventually will become ancestors. So thank you so much, uh, T-Dub and the Converge team for that right there. And before I go to break, of course, we got to dive into what Brian Callanan has going on tonight. He and David Croman are always talking about some things that we need to know. Check it out right here. Hey there, Trey. I'm sorry I couldn't join you in person today, but we have a lot of things that are going on this week on Seattle News Views and Brews. I'm back with David Croman, my co-host from the Seattle Times, and we're tackling a number of different issues on the show. Specifically, we're talking about what's going on with the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, which just came out with a rather large budget last week, and officials are looking at it this week and in the weeks ahead to try to figure out what's next with it. Essentially, the RHA has said, okay, we need $8 billion up front to build all the housing and shelter that we need, and then we're going to need $3.5 billion every year to maintain that type of service. Now, if you think about this, this is so much bigger than what the RHA has right now in terms of an annual budget. It's about $253 million, okay? And they're talking about billions now. And actually of that $253 million, $95 million of that is a result of the Seattle City Council and the mayor saying, okay, this is how much Seattle's putting in. So Seattle has a lot of skin in this game here. And the RHA is trying to put out this budget just to let people know. Mark Dones, the CEO of the RHA, has said this a number of times. Hey, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. These are the costs that are involved here. And this is what I want to present. It's interesting to look a little closer at this, though, because I think there's a concern at least David and I were talking about this with the idea to increase the amount of shelter units in King County. So the RHA is saying, OK, we've got about thirty seven hundred, thirty eight hundred beds right now. We want to increase that to ten thousand. Right. A magnitude bigger to do that, though. Money's not the only issue. It's the issue of actually where are you going to site these different shelters? So a lot to consider there. And we're going to be looking at that as well. We're also looking at what's going on with the capital gains tax. This is something that's happening down in Olympia. Lawmakers passed this a couple of years ago, but there's a big concern right now that at least in the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court, where this is being heard out, there's a concern that these capital gains, if they are taxed, well, you're taxing income and that's illegal in the state of Washington. Supporters from the attorney general's office are saying, well, wait a minute. This is just an excise tax when those assets like socks or stocks are sold. We're going to take some money from there. So a big concern over this, the IRS has said a number of different times that Actually, these capital gains should be considered as income. So we'll have to see where the state Supreme Court goes with this. It is a very progressive court. So a lot of question marks around this still. Now, we're also talking about something. David, of course, is a transportation reporter for the Seattle Times. And he's talking a little bit more about what's happening with bike infrastructure in the city of Seattle. This is something that was brought up in the bike blog not too long ago, the Seattle bike blog. 
And what's happening right now is the city is taking an input. They just had a meeting last night at Bertha Knight Landis to try to get some input on bike lanes, the interconnectivity of those lanes, sometimes when there's not connections. What are the concerns there? So we're trying to figure out exactly where some new infrastructure for bikes could go. As you may know, down in District 2, Tammy Morales has been pushing for this for some time, talking about Rainier Avenue, how to do something there. Also talking about what's happening in the Soto neighborhood, which unfortunately has seen a lot of fatal collisions involving bicycles. So there's still a lot of work going on with this. And I did want to make sure I pointed out, if you would like to make some input when it comes to bikes, when it comes to freight traffic, car traffic too, Seattle is working on a new transportation plan. It's called the Seattle Transportation Plan. It's kind of going concurrently with the comprehensive plan that we've talked about before that deals with how buildings get built, et cetera. But the transportation plan is part of this too. So the city really is reaching out for input right now. They want to make sure that you do that online if you can by February 21st. So you've got a couple of weeks to look at that, but please go to the Seattle DOT website, look at the transportation plan, make sure you get your input in within the next couple of weeks because the city is really looking for that. And if you want to try to contact me, please do at Callanan Seattle on Twitter or check out the show tonight, Seattle News, Views and Brews happening at seven o'clock right here on Converge. Thanks a lot, Trey. See you soon. Thanks so much, Brian, and always appreciate you giving us updates when you can. I mean, you know, we've had this discussion time and time again about KCRHA. I mean, you know, Mark Dones um, and their entire team is very uh, specific, and I, I'm going to keep on going back to it. When we had Mark Dones here, they told us that, look, we are here and we were created to ensure that all of the failed programs and, and approaches over the last 30 years that we don't replicate them. So I really appreciate that their their team is saying, look, this is what it's going to take. And if we're going to really be serious about it, we have to understand what that number is. We have to understand the plan to get uh, all of these folks in that shelter that they need in homes that are needed. Uh, this is something that for me, it's it just comes back to the bottom line. I really appreciate, Brian, how you and David are going to be talking about where to put those additional beds. Uh, as we know, there's a lot of pushback in communities when, you know, we try to say, okay, maybe it's going to be here. We heard that from the International District. We've heard it from other cities outside of Seattle in terms of them not wanting uh, shelters in their neighborhoods. And this is, for me, one of the largest concerns because there's no one really pushing for people to understand and create a new mentality and mind frame around love. And this is something for me that's really important as we move into, you know, uh, more and more years of understanding that we have always been, you know, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of judgment out here when it comes to our unhoused population. And I'm always talking about it because it's so true. We have a lot of families that are out there working poor families. They have jobs. They're not out there because of addiction or other issues. Um, and for those that may be out there, well, how do we get them the resources that they need? I just... Brian, you know, this is always a touchy subject for me because I go, you know, look, at the end of the day, what is it going to cost for us to ensure that all of our folks are housed and how do we get there? So I appreciate that the team over at KCRHA is doing just that. And you are right. I'm glad that David Croman is there to talk about these transportation issues when it comes to bike lanes. 
for me as a driver, um, I know that there are bikers out there that are taking risks every single day to be right alongside me as I'm trying to drive 30, 35 miles an hour. You know, they're pedaling and moving in, in and out in between cars because there aren't bike lanes in all areas throughout the city of Seattle. And beyond, right? For them to be able to actually utilize their bikes in a way that's, um, you know, efficient for them at the end of the day. So, you know, if they're trying to get from a certain part outside of Seattle and get to a job downtown Seattle, they're going to incur a lot of different roads in that regard. And all of the roads are not specific to them, right? All of the roads don't have that bike lane. However, it doesn't mean that they're now on the sidewalk. They're still trying to pedal alongside me as I'm driving. So I do think there's a lot that we have to consider there in terms of infrastructure. Uh, always, uh, Brian, it's a pleasure to hear from you. Glad you and Dave are on top of all these topics. Make sure all of y'all tune in tonight, 7 p.m. right here on Converge Media to hear all of these topics in depth with Brian Callanan and David Croman. Well, for me, y'all, I'm excited because Faisal Khan is coming up next. He's going to be telling us all about his excitement in his new role as Director of Public Health for Seattle King County. And also, we do have to touch on some updates in terms of public health. Uh, we do need some answers here, and I'm excited to dive in with him right after this short break, y'all. Stay tuned. You're watching The Day with Trey. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Trey Holiday. We're bringing back Black love when we met. That's right. We need something to warm all of our hearts and to elevate love once again in our communities. We want y'all to go to whereweconverge.com forward slash black love so y'all can nominate your favorite couple for the next rendition of this show with me as the host. Let me sit down and have them on my couch and share how their love can inspire us all. Make sure y'all go and get your nominations in today and be on the lookout for Black Love When We Met, coming at you on Converge Media very soon. Pacific Northwest Ballet unveils Giselle, ballet's classic tale of romance, betrayal, and immortal love. The New York Times calls it a triumph, comparable to an epic film. This stunning production is touched by magic. Order tickets now at pnb.org. Welcome back, everybody, to The Day with Trey. I'm excited. Faisal Khan is joining me. Hi, Faisal. How are you? Hey, Trey. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. This is uh, really is great to have you here because I, I, I'd love to know about your history. You know, what got you positioned to now take on this role as director for such an important job here when it comes to public health, uh, Seattle King County? Oh, no, that's a great question. Um, so I actually moved here from St. Louis about um, five and a half months ago. And I did that deliberately because in the world of public health, Seattle King County is rated amongst the top three public health departments in the country. And that is a testament to the quality of the workforce that the people of King County have at their disposal. Whenever we sit around the table of public health to discuss any issues, we generally begin by asking ourselves one question. What would Seattle King County, LA County, or New York City do about the issue? And then we work backwards to scale the, pro the solution to um, our resources. So from that 
point of view, you know, this is uh, an amazing um, opportunity and I am absolutely delighted to be here. Well, you know, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, as uh, someone who resides in King County, I get to experience, I think, that. And, and oftentimes a lot of citizens don't realize the resources we have at our disposal. And sometimes it can go overlooked or unappreciated. But the truth of the matter is when you go to another state and you are dealing without those resources, you really feel the brunt of that. Um, so you were dealing with public health already outside of Seattle before you got here? Yes. So I've been in the public health field for nearly 30 years. Um, I am an infectious disease uh, and physician and medical epidemiologist, and I've um, lived and worked in many different parts of the world, um, from Australia, Pakistan, Vietnam, South Africa, um, and for the last 22 years, the United States. And I've had the pleasure of working in several different states and cities, including the private sector. I would have to say that working at the local level for a city or county department is the best possible way to experience the immense personal gratification and satisfaction you get from helping people every single day. Because you don't have the luxury of hiding away um, in your office in, in a state capital or the federal capital. You are face to face with the very people whose health and well-being you're responsible for. Yeah, that's important. And I can only imagine that it's a, a great driving factor for you to really uh, actualize the goals now that, you know, you see yourself uh, championing in your role uh, with public health. Tell us a bit about what those goals are so that folks can understand a lot of the work you all are doing there. Absolutely. So before I dive into the details, let me just, you know, invite everybody to go back to December 2019 and what the shape of the world was then. What is it that we were worried about in terms of public health issues? Obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer prevention, suicides, mental health, et cetera, right? These were the major issues. Um, obviously, homelessness and drug dependence were still an issue back then. When the COVID pandemic hit these shores and Seattle King County was amongst the very first agencies to respond, in fact, the rest of the world um, and pretty much the rest of the country was watching to see what Seattle King County did in response. And so our amazing health officer, Dr. Jeff Duchin, um, and, and the colleagues um, at Public Health Seattle and King County led the fight against COVID in those early days, uncertain days before the vaccines arrived and we knew a little bit more about the disease. But during that three-year period, and it's been amazing, it's been a three-year battle, the public health workforce is exhausted. We have been burnt out. We have been in the trenches fighting this battle on all fronts 24-7. We had to set aside everything else that we did, all the things that I've just listed. Basically, it was an all-hands-on-deck kind of response. So everybody stopped doing what they were dived into pandemic response, emergency response, equipping our community with the information and the tools um, and the um, clinical care that they needed to save themselves and protect their loved ones. We've been doing that for three years nonstop. We've lost people through attrition and burnout. The pipeline for public health professionals coming into government service is now slowing down to a trickle. 
we don't see people signing up in droves, and that's because they've seen what's happened to uh, those of us that were in the trenches. Throughout the country, uh, during the course of the last three years, over 500 public health department directors have either been forced out of their jobs, forced into retirement, or harassed to the point that they have simply quit and left. I'm one of them. I moved here from St. Louis precisely because of that, because I stood up for masks, because I stood up for the basic restrictions we needed in place to stop the control of a potentially deadly respiratory disease in some of the most vulnerable and underserved communities in our, um, in our country. Um, and, you know, the story is the same in all metro areas. Minority communities got hit the hardest. They are the most underserved. They are marginalized. They are ignored and have been for many, many, many decades. And this was just another complication on top of that. So to cut a long story short, recovering our workforce from all that exhaustion is priority A1 getting people to take a deep breath and figure out once again why that fire burns in their belly and they, they show up for work every day wanting to help people. Why don't they just leave for the private sector to make more money? What is it that drives them towards public service? Rediscovering that fire is priority A1. I gotta tell you, uh, I'm not often moved um, but that was moving, you know, uh, and I'll say it be because honestly, for me, as somebody who has dedicated so much of my life force and energy to serving community, you know, I realize as a black woman, as a mother of two sons who are going to be men in this country, that oftentimes black men are the number one target in this country. I'm always saying my sons keep me going. There's something that drives me as a black person. I don't have a choice to do this work. So I really appreciate you coming from that perspective. Um, and it's going to take that kind of intentionality for all of the staff, all the employees in public service and public health in particular to really feel that. Right. Absolutely. Because they do have to understand that them being in their role is what's going to help us get over all of this. And honestly, it has been. It's been exhaustive for all of us, right? And so much more so for those who have been called upon to be the leading experts, to be the ones that we talk to, to be the ones that we go to, right? Uh, Omari and I talked a lot about how Seattle in particular showed up when it came to COVID-19 right. response. And we realized then that we had all of these resources, testing sites everywhere. Right. There was, you know, when vaccines came out, they were everywhere. It was just accessible. And when I was talking to people across the country, they're like, that's not, we're not experienced. And I'm like, what? Right. How is that not? We have them on every corner. You know, we, we have uh, all of these resources have opened up to us. Um, for those who could not pay, there was all these free resources. There was, resources in terms of money to help you pay for things that you needed right. on a, a, a everyday level. 
And so I really experienced that, uh, particularly when it came to the COVID-19 response. And you're right. We're still in this. A lot of folks are like, well, during the back then, during the pandemic, I'm like, it's still here. Right. People are still dealing with COVID-19. People are still dying. We have seen that. Okay, we learned more about the vaccines over time. There's a lot of information that's coming out. So I appreciate you taking that kind of approach. And I know the employees who stick it out uh, will also really be able to really feel that and and experience that. That sounds like that's going to be a major uh, work for you. Um, When we think about some of the other things, as you said, that I've had to take a back seat, uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, addiction, you mentioned that, but it's true. These fentanyl cases uh, are continuing to rise. And it is such a public health crisis, um, such an issue. We've been talking to Brad Feingood about this. We've been on this for quite some time. And unfortunately, the numbers are not getting better here. What do you say to that and, and to some of those other things that had to kind of take a back seat uh, during this pandemic? How do you juggle all of it? And tell me specifically what y'all are doing about these fentanyl cases. Absolutely. Thank you, Trey. That That is an awesome question because that is something that's keeping us up at night. Even as we continue to deal with this stage of the pandemic, the fact is that the fentanyl crisis is not even so much a crisis anymore because it's fashionable to label everything a crisis, right? I describe it as a slowly unfolding catastrophe. The bodies are literally piling up. Ask any medical examiner's office across this country, any metro area, I challenge you, they will say the same thing. Nearly 60% of the deaths being reported to them for investigation are related to opioids and fentanyl overdoses. It is ridiculously cheap. It is flooding our streets. It is killing people in the prime of their lives. It is driving up our mortality stats to a point where the numbers are simply astronomical. Every year we seem to be breaking a new record. And I don't see an easy end or an improvement in the near future. I'm going to be very honest with you. I have said this to everyone who has asked, in order to stop people from dying, We need a massive investment of money from the federal government because neither the state government nor the county or city government level at any point in in the country have the, the same resources to make a difference. I'll give you an example. Back in 1989 or 1990, HIV AIDS was considered a death sentence. What changed? The arrival of treatment but more importantly, the Ryan White Care Act, which allowed the federal government to pour billions of dollars every year into every state to enable them to set up prevention, long-term treatment, care and support programs, and housing opportunities for people living with HIV AIDS or those at risk for HIV AIDS. Today, HIV AIDS is no longer a death sentence. People live their lives Although it is uh, an ongoing pandemic in many ways across the world, it's the pandemic that the world seems to have forgotten. The fact is that in the United States, we are so much better because of that investment. That's the kind of investment it will take to make a difference in the opioid crisis, in the fentanyl crisis. 
Short of that, we're going to be chasing shadows, it seems, specifically at the local level, even with our limited resources. We are pouring our efforts into data collection and surveillance to figure out what is going on, into treatment and linkage to care and support programs wherever possible. And by the way, inpatient treatment programs are expensive and they're not really available. If you and I or our, one of our loved ones had to seek inpatient treatment, they, the opportunities would be difficult to find even if we could afford them. And the private sector is prohibitively expensive. We're trying to make treatment available as much as possible, even as we try to help people who suffer from substance use disorder to try and protect themselves against the harm that the, the use of those drugs might cause, like using fentanyl test strips to figure out what is in their supply. If there is fentanyl, don't use it. You're at risk of an overdose. Use clean needles so that you don't suffer from bloodborne pathogen infections like HIV, hepatitis C, et cetera. And then an ongoing series of support mechanisms to make sure that we link people to the services they need. The homeless, for example, those without housing um, are particularly at risk. In fact, the number of fentanyl deaths in the homeless population has skyrocketed across the country. King County is no exception. All signs point, as I said, towards a catastrophe. Back to your point about homelessness. A housing first approach is what King County is doing and our colleagues at the Department of Community um, and Human Services work hand in glove with us to do an amazing job. And Mark Dones and Berkland uh, and their crew at the KCRHA are simply amazing. Full marks to them, stable housing without any preconditions including all the wraparound services necessary to get people the treatment, the long-term care and support that they need is the way forward. Housing is health. Housing is healthcare. Housing is public health in practice. All those efforts are ongoing, but Trey, the scale of the problem is so huge that the resources we have are nowhere near enough to put a dent in the problem. And I'm being deliberately cautious in stating that. I'm understating it. I, I got to tell you, uh, this is, for me, the enormity of what you're describing. Um, I, I want us all to really hear Faisal here. This is not just for those who are dealing with addiction issues uh, right now. I mean, we are talking about it being infused into so many different products that we do have to be careful. I appreciate uh, what you shared there in terms of the strips, the testing strips, and really being able to identify how fentanyl is being infused into other uh, care that people are thinking, oh, I, you know, I need this. You know, we've talked about opioid addiction, the growth of it. Um, if this level of intentionality was put into communities in the 80s when we saw uh, this enormous crack addiction uh, spike, um, there's so much that could have been prevented oh, yes. then. And so I think 
already as a nation, and you are right in terms of it needing to come from a federal perspective, because as a nation, if we're all dealing with the same issue, now it's on us as a country to address it. And I I find oftentimes for me, as someone who is witnessing it all, I say, why is that, that not happening more often? Really appreciated your example of the HIV virus, which as we know, it came through and the federal government did something major about it. Um, it's going to take that. And I, 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 100% agree with you. Clearly, your expertise is necessary at public health and your passion for this work uh, is going to be something that I'm sure will be a guiding light for those who are following you in, in, in this year to come as you settle into this role. Just tell us uh, what you're really hoping that the folks that are working alongside you uh, are really going to gain from them giving of themselves because a lot of the issues that you all are facing are enormous in, in a way that maybe the the response of it, what you all do, may not be felt widespread. Right. How do you ensure that, you know, what you're sharing with me, because I'm feeling your passion right here, right now. How do you ensure that others really experience that so that they will continue in this much needed work? I think about that quite often. <laughs> Part of my leadership responsibility is to constantly energize our own workforce. And we do that by talking to each other, by sharing success stories, by celebrating the work that we do, by recognizing the differences we're making in the lives of people, by improving their health status indicators. At the same time, I'm constantly cognizant of the fact that this has always been a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so, you know, the journey towards good health, optimal health and well-being is a continuum. There are constant threats, old and new, that keep emerging, COVID being the most recent, but we are in the age of the pandemic. Can we predict what will happen in the next influenza season? No. Um, should we prepare for it now? Yes. Were we prepared adequately for COVID? Absolutely not. The United States' response to COVID will have a chapter dedicated to it in textbooks written 50 years from now. And the title of that will be how not to respond to COVID, how not to respond to a pandemic. Despite what we've been able to accomplish over the last three years, we wasted a lot of time. And as a result, other countries count their dead in the tens of thousands. We count our dead in the millions. 1,090,000 men, women, and children dead and counting. That is criminally shameful for a country that had all the resources in the world, more than any other countries, more than any other block put together, and we still ended up with a million plus dead. The other thing that I try to do deliberately is to get people in my own team, in our own workforce, to take a deep breath and dial out every now and then because compassion fatigue, work fatigue, overload is real, burnout is real. It is causing people to retire early, to seek employment elsewhere, and I do not begrudge them that. Um, 
we live and breathe in the same space that everybody else does. The one thing that I, I would say to all the residents of King County is it is an absolute honor and privilege, a humbling experience, in fact, to live and work in a place where people truly value their own health and the health of their community. And so when a public health issue arises or a health issue arises or an environmental health issue arises, people are very passionate about it and proactive about it in terms of supporting the powers that be in, in terms of funding the efforts necessary to address those problems. I assure you, my friends, that is not true in all parts of this great country. I've experienced that and it is not pretty. And the end result is, as I said, tens of thousands dead compared to um, what we did in King County. And so take a bow. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. Wow. Uh, Faisal, of course, we could talk for a very long time. We may have to do a special. We may have Anytime. to make that happen. Uh, for now, though, make sure folks know how to connect with public health. How do they stay engaged in all the issues you all are working on? You can look right there and let folks know how to tap in. Absolutely. So if you want to find out how to help people with substance use disorder, opioid addiction, fentanyl addiction, or other addictions, warecoveryhelpline.org. I'll repeat that, warecoveryhelpline.org. If you want to get in touch with Public Health Seattle and King County to learn more about our work, share your thoughts and opinions, or follow us on social media, you can look for us at KC Pub Health. That's K-C-P-U-B Health. And lastly, if you want to keep track of what we are up to, what we worry about, what we want people to know about and educate themselves about, please look up the publichealthinsider.com. That is a blog that's maintained by our amazing communications team, and it comprises and compresses all the pertinent topics about public health and the health of our community in one reading um, material uh, format for easy consumption. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you. Stay safe. Basel, thank you so much for stepping into the role with your passion and being ready uh, to guide the staff at Public Health Seattle King County uh, in the ways forward with so many, uh, so many different issues facing your entire team. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was really an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Trey. It was a pleasure to be here. Oh, wow. Uh, serious topics here on this first day of Black History Month, but it is something that I find very important for us to dive into. Thank you all for listening to that. Of course, I get to wrap all of this up right after this short break. Stay tuned. You're watching The David Trey. Hey, guys. Lisa Gordon here. And before heading to Belize, Trey Holiday and I had to make sure we linked up with our good friends over at Market Street Shoes to, of course, grab a few things for the trip. From bags to socks, shoes, sunglasses, earrings, and more. Before going on any trip, make sure you stop at Market Street Shoes. Trust me, you'll find just what you need to make your trip not only enjoyable, but fashionable. Pacific Northwest Ballet unveils Giselle, ballet's classic tale of romance, betrayal, and immortal love. The New York Times calls it a triumph, comparable to an epic film. 
This stunning production is touched by magic. Order tickets now at pnb.org. Welcome back, everybody, to The Day with Trey. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, and I want to thank Brian Callanan for always giving us a great message to make sure we know what's going on tonight on Seattle News, Views, and Brews. Make sure y'all tune in 7 p.m. right here on Converge Media. They're going to be diving into some topics that I know are important to many of you out there, so make sure you tap into that. And a huge thank you to Faisal Khan, uh, you know, this for me was really moving and inspiring. Oftentimes we don't get to hear, you know, the work being done behind the scenes to keep us healthy and safe. It's great to know that we are among the top three uh, places in the country. You know, again, Seattle and King County being a beacon in terms of leading public health efforts uh, for others across this country. But also it was really inspiring to hear the passion that Faisal has in being the new director of public health, Seattle King County and bringing the enormous issues that they all are dealing with to the forefront. Um, and also being honest and transparent with us about how some of this work may take a very long time to really get through, but it's important that, you know, uh, that the, his entire team actually feels that they're being guided in the right direction. Uh, for me, of course, I was inspired. I, I you know, listening to, you know, T-Dub talk about her inspiration for art, listening to, uh, you know, Faisal talking about the work that he is positioned to himself to now do here um, and how his passion had brought him here so that he can really participate in the ways that Seattle and King County are leading the rest of the nation. Just really inspiring. And, and honestly, it was a great reminder for me in order to know what we need uh, from all of you. We need you to be inspired. We need you to see yourself as a part of the solution as Faisal has done. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do in your role, but when you bring that passion to life, when you bring your talent to bear in, in a way that's going to benefit others around you, people outside of your circle of influence, when you do that work, trust me, you are benefiting all of us. So of course, y'all, I want you to be inspired as I was today. Make sure you do the work to find out how you can be a part of the solution. And on this Black History Month, educate yourself, dive in deep, and thank you so much. I know we went over time. I appreciate you all for watching. Of course, for me, until tomorrow at 11 a.m., y'all. Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.